I want you to open your Bible with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. We've been on this topic for now uh, two weeks. This is the third week, I should say. And I just want to go a little bit further here, and I think there's just something for us. And so, Father, we come to you in the wonderful, worthy name of the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, for what you have done, even in this service today, and what is happening in the realm of the Spirit Unbeknownst to many, the Spirit of God is touching and moving and even healing people in their souls and in their bodies. Father, we thank you for your word. It truly is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. And I pray today that you'll take us where we need to go. You'll guide us in the direction that we should choose. And I pray that you'll bring clarity and better understanding to our hearts. Shine a light into our spirits, giving us revelation and understanding. And we thank you for it, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus, someone shout out real loud, Amen. Amen. All right. Notice with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read this from the easy-to-read version because it's easy to read. It says, We taught you how to live in a way that will please God. And you are living that way. I think I can say the same thing about everyone here, maybe almost everyone here today. And you are living that way. Now we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus to live that way more and more. Somebody say more and more. John Chrysostom, who lived around the fourth century, said this, If you knew how quickly people would forget you after your death... You would not seek in your life to please anyone but God. So true. I believe that every genuine Christian desires to please God. We don't please Him to get saved. We do so because we are saved. Can I get another amen? But many Christians have convinced themselves that living a life that pleases God is unattainable, except for the super spiritual among us. Billy Graham, Pastor Jeppe, but nobody else could possibly please God. But that's not true. The Apostle Paul said these folks were pleasing to God. Amen? In fact, every believer can please God. It's not beyond your reach. However, the problem is, for most Unlike the people in Thessalonica, they have not been properly taught. Paul said, we taught you. So we need to know something about what God wants before we can live a life that pleases Him. And not only can we please God, that's good, it's even better. We can do so more and more. 2024 is the year for more. We're going to please God more and more this year. Amen. I believe that tomorrow is going to be a better day than today. I believe that next week is going to be even a better week. Next month, it, the path of the righteous is like the shining of the sun that shines brighter and brighter until the noonday. Can I get a witness this morning? Now notice another scripture in Mark chapter 1 verse 11. Mark chapter 1 verse 11, the Bible says, after Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan, a voice came from above, from heaven, that said, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well 
pleased. That's interesting. God is the Father speaking of Jesus, His Son. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Now, the Greek word translated beloved uh, comes from the word agape. It's agapetos. And it means loved by God, loved with the God kind of love, a love that is not based on performance, unconditional love. And here's the thing, this same word is used in the New Testament over 50 times to describe believers. Same word. See, you're beloved. You're beloved. We are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and we are beloved. In fact, in John chapter 17 and verse 23, Jesus prayed to the Father for His disciples, which would include us. And He said, they will know that you love my followers as much as you love me. Well, that's good news. I don't think you heard me because you couldn't just sit there and stare at me. They will know. He's talking to the Father. The world will know that you love my followers as much as you love me. The Passion Translation says that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Woo! Hallelujah! The Father loves you. I'm talking to believers today. As the Father loves you just as much as He loves Jesus. Oh, no, no, no. That, that's not going to work. I said the Father loves you just as much as He loves Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. And He does not love you theologically. He loves you passionately. That's what the Passion Translation says. He loves you passionately. In other words... God doesn't look at you and with a kind of a stony face say, of course we love you. Yes. That's what your parents say before they punish you. You know, Of course we love you. That's why we're going to smack the living daylights out of you. <laughs> no, he, he loves you with a heart that's burning with desire for you. Hallelujah. Amen. And if you believe that, if you believe that, and see a lot of people have trouble believing that. If you believe that, and you will live every day conscious of that fact, I promise you, life will be different for you. Amen? And so that also means something else. It means that Jesus, in His earth walk, the days of His flesh, in His earthly ministry, Jesus had no advantage with the Father that you also don't have. Huh? He loves you. The Father loves you just as much as He loves Jesus. Jesus did not have any special advantage in, his, in the days of His flesh, in His earthly ministry. He did not have a special advantage that you also don't have. He's just as much your Father as He is Jesus' Father. You have the same access to the Father. You have the same standing with the Father. You have the same Spirit from the Father. And He is willing to do for you everything that he did for Jesus. Someone said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But he raised Jesus from the dead. And on the last day, he's going to raise you from the dead. He's willing to do for you everything he did for Jesus. 
Man, we could just dismiss right now and be blessed. Think about that. Somebody wants me to dismiss right now. No, I'm not going to do that. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. But notice this. Notice this. That same voice from on high said, And with you I am well pleased. Now, the loving was not based on anything Jesus had done. The pleasing was entirely based on what Jesus had done. In other words, one of them is automatic. The other is not. What I'm saying to you is God loves you just as much as He loves Jesus. Well, before you say amen too loudly, I'll also add, but He may not be as pleased with you as He was with Jesus. Now it's real quiet in this Holy Ghost church. But more and more, that's what we're aiming for. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. With you, I'm well pleased. With what? Was the Father pleased? Why was the Father pleased? Was He pleased with the sermons that Jesus had preached? No. Because at that moment, Jesus had not preached a single message. Jesus did not begin His ministry until after He was baptized by John and the Holy Spirit came down in a bodily shape like a dove. Was the Father pleased with the miracles Jesus had performed? Nope. Because at that point in time, Jesus had not performed a single miracle. John tells us that in Cana of Galilee, He turned water into wine, and this was the first miracle that Jesus performed. So at this point, He's not performed a miracle. Was the Father pleased with the healings or casting out of the demon spirits? Nope because it had not happened yet. Yet he said, with you I'm well, not just pleased, well pleased. So what was the Father pleased with? The way he had lived his life for 30 years up until that point. Did you hear me? He was pleased with the way he had lived his life Hallelujah. You see, it is not a great achievement that God prizes the most. It is a daily walk with Him. I don't think you heard me. It is not some great spiritual achievement, working miracles, walking on water, healing a multitude. That's not the thing that God prizes, desires even, the most. It's a daily Walk with Him. See, we have too many special event Christians, but the Father wants everyday Christians. Amen? So like recently, New Year's Day, my wife says to me, I'm not picking on her, but it fits in my sermon, of course. She had her chance to say something, now it's my chance. So on New Year's Day, my wife says to me, we didn't have a service, she says, let's, let's just spend some special time praying. We'll go to the church and we'll just spend some time praying for the new year. And I was kind of like a, a little bit hesitant, like, you know, we, you know, can we just pray at home, blah, blah, blah. And she says to me, hey, there are some families in Nagaland that spend the entire day, some of them spend days, you know, at the beginning of the year, 
praying and fasting. And I said, okay, fine, but we pray every day. See, some people fast and pray one day out of the year to make up for every other day that they don't pray at all. <laughs> but that's not really what God wants. Hello, Nagaland. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So Jesus lived in obscurity for 30 years. See, Luke only tells us of one incident that occurred when Jesus was 12 years old. Other than that, we know virtually nothing about what happened all during those years, from, after, from the time he was born until the day he was baptized. We, we know virtually nothing. Are you listening to me? Just because you're not in the limelight, that doesn't mean God isn't watching. How, how could the Father say, I'm pleased, unless he had been observing all those years? I've watched how you've lived. Are you out there? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus certainly knew what that verse meant. But I'll tell you, the Father not only sees in secret, but often he sees in silence. Just because God doesn't say anything, that doesn't mean he didn't notice. Now, is your wife like that too? All the wives are like that. Just because she didn't say anything doesn't mean she didn't notice. Although sometimes if you listen carefully, you can hear a little, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. And this also shows us something else. Very important. That public promotion is always preceded by private probation. Because if the father was watching Jesus before he said, all right, now you're ready. You're ready to step into the calling that I have for you. You're ready for me to unleash the, 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 the power of the Holy Spirit on your ministry. You're ready for me to open the doors for you. If the father was watching Jesus, who was sinless and perfect, he's going to have to watch you too. So you don't have any special advantages that Jesus uh, that Jesus had. You don't have, he didn't have any special advantages that you don't have, but you're also going to have to walk the same path that he walked. Amen. Again, public promotion is always preceded by private probation. So don't, don't despise the day of small beginnings because today, good or bad, is always preparation for tomorrow. What's happening in your life at this moment is not just about this moment. It's also about your future. Amen. And so that also tells me that every temptation or every trial that comes your way is actually a test. 
Every temptation or trial that comes your way is actually a test. Now, we have in this room many teachers, those who run and, and operate schools. We have students as well. And good students prepare for their exams so, so they can give the correct answer when the moment comes. And they know that if they pass the test, they will advance to another level. And of course, they also know if they do not pass the test, if they're not able to give the correct answer, that will hinder their progress, that will delay their destiny. Right? Amen? So, we should rejoice. We should rejoice when hardships come our way. Everybody sit down, I'm still preaching. I said we should rejoice. We should count it all joy when hardships come our way. We should rejoice when the pressure or the enticement to do wrong is coming toward us. Because this is an opportunity for promotion. Don't be afraid. This is only a test. Amen. Amen. This is an opportunity. This is a chance for us to use our faith and to prove our faithfulness. And then God can advance us to another level. Of course, you know, you've often heard it said, uh, new levels, new devils. Bigger challenges. If, if you can't kill the lion and you can't kill the bear, God can't use you to kill Goliath. Amen. Hallelujah. And so that means that what the devil meant for evil, God will use for good. God's not tempting you to sin. He's not trying to destroy you, but he will allow you to be tempted. He will allow hardships to come. And so the most common prayer that we receive from young people is this. Pray that I will do well in my exams. That, that we get that every year, we, you know, certain time of year, that, that's what everybody says, understandably. No student ever says, pray for me that I won't have to take my exams. Nobody says that. Because they know the day they signed up, the day they enrolled to become a student, there was coming a day of testing. You need to know that the day you said yes to Christ, you signed up for the test. You can't pray it away, friend. It's coming. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, he said this, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch and pray. Some people do a lot of watching. They're watching their watch. They're looking at somebody else in the sanctuary. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, encountering temptation is unavoidable. You, 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 can't, you can't escape that. In this world, you are going to face temptations. Even Jesus was tempted. The Bible says so. But entering into temptation... And what, what that means is giving into it, yielding to it, uh, following through with the pressure that's coming to do wrong, that is preventable through prayer. 
Encountering temptation is unavoidable. Entering into temptation is certainly preventable. When you pray, you strengthen your inner man. You strengthen your inner man. But when you are spiritually depleted, enticements of the world become more attractive and you become more, more vulnerable to them. That's why when you're strong spiritually, the devil can jangle something in front of you. Wouldn't you like to have this? And you just go, get out of here. Right? Get out of here. I'm not going to do that. You know, when you're strong, you know, you come in a service, hopefully like this, right? You know, we're worshiping God, hearing the word. And if in the parking lot, if somebody said, hey, want some beer? You go, get thee behind me, Satan. But then you kind of stop going to church and, and you're, not, you're not really in fellowship with the Lord like you should be. And it's you that's out there in the parking lot saying, would you like a beer? <laughs> Amen. Amen. So you need to stay strong. Students know, I know you love this topic, but that's okay. Students know when their exams are coming. We don't. We just know it will. But it doesn't matter. Stay prayed up. Stay in the word and you'll always be ready. The devil doesn't announce, he doesn't call you on, the, on your cell phone tomorrow at 12 o'clock. I'm coming for you. Get ready for the test because you'd put on the armor of God. You'd be praying in tongues all that night. He's going to wait till you're just kind of, you know, distracted. Hallelujah. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Smile at somebody. Some of you, uh, bless your heart, hallelujah. That's a sorry smile, I'll tell you. Okay, but we not only need to pray, it's going to get better. We not only need to pray for our own edification, we need to pray for others. For example, and there's a lot of examples, but for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, we are told to pray for all those who are in a position of authority. In fact, he says, first of all, I urge first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for kings and for all who are in authority. But verse 2 explains why. Why we should do this. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So let me just say this, because it's important. That tells me good governance is important to God. Good governance is important to God because it affects us. And God's concerned about anything that affects us. When he says pray for those in authority, he doesn't simply mean pray that God will bless them. What he really means is that God will influence them by His Spirit to do His will. That's what he really means. Hallelujah. Now, in our day, we are so fortunate. We have something Paul didn't have. We can select our own leaders. So, we should pray that voters will choose wisely. Amen. I remember many years ago, I heard uh, Brother Hagen speaking just before a presidential election in America. 
it was just a few months before that election. This is many years ago. It's in the uh, late 1980s. And he said, the Lord told me that this is important and that Christians should pray because the Lord, this is what Brother Hagin said, the Lord told me if the wrong person gets in office, your living standard will be half of what it is now. Unfortunately, at that time, I believe the right person did get in office. I'm not so sure about right now in America, you see. I want to say something else. I'll get back to my main point, but there are many countries in the world who are impoverished, and yet they're rich in resources. Would you rather live in Singapore or the Congo? How many say the Congo? Raise your hand. Or you're just scratching your head. Okay, praise the Lord. I personally would say Singapore. The Congo is rich in resources. Minerals, diamonds, gold, lithium, which they use in batteries, all kinds of things. But who wants to live there? Singapore has no resources. Yet it has one of the highest standards of living in the world. Most countries are poor because they're poorly governed. Most countries are poor, not only because of corruption, but also because of a lack of wisdom. Why is it that it seems like the most foolish people in the world get elected? Because that's the devil's candidate, I suppose. I don't know. But we need, and we need, by the way, we need righteous people. We need righteous people, not namesake only fake Christians. Righteous people in office. Now, I mean, there's more than that, of course. You have to have wisdom, you have to have ability, skill. But I'm telling you, we need godly people in places of authority. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I'm not endorsing any particular candidate or party, so I'm just telling you as a general principle. But I'm not voting for Joe Biden. Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> I can't say that in America. Somebody might get it mad, but here I don't care. Okay. <laughs> let's move on. In verse 3, in verse 3, this is still 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, this is good and pleasing. Somebody say pleasing. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. So we're talking about pleasing God. And here he says, this is pleasing. What is pleasing? See, it, it connects with what he said in verse 2. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. So on the one hand, God wants our nation or our nations to be at rest and without turmoil. He's a God of order, not a God of confusion. But on the other hand, he also wants you to live in a peaceful way. He wants you to live a peaceful way life. So one way we can please God is by choosing peace. One way we can please God is by choosing peace. And I'm especially not focusing so much on, you know, uh, bilateral relationships with nations and that type of thing. What I'm talking about is 
your relationships with others in your world. Because you don't have much say-so in geopolitical events, but you have a lot of say-so in your home and in your office and in your school and in your, in your clinic, etc. So one way we can please God is by, being, is by choosing peace. We should be peacemakers, not strife makers. Some people, they're probably not here this morning. Maybe they are. Don't say, yeah, that's me. Just, just sit quietly. Some people cause disruptions and disunity and discontentment wherever they go. You know, Brother Zama Zama went to this first house, and after being there for a week, that husband and wife got divorced. Then Brother Zama Zama went to another house, and that house burned down. Then Brother Zama Zama went to another house, and all the kids, you know, rose up and killed a bunch of people. Something's wrong with Brother Zama Zama. Have you noticed that? <laughs> They're strife makers, you see. Some people, contention and confusion follow them in their wake wherever they go. So beware of peace thieves. Beware of peace thieves. You wouldn't let someone steal your valuable jewelry. You wouldn't let someone steal your vehicle. But you would gladly let someone steal your peace. That's not right. There are those who are whisperers, who separate close friends, who sow seeds of discord, whose words are like sharp arrows, wounding everyone in their path. Some people are infected with seething anger. They're infected like a virus with seething anger and every meeting that they attend turns into a super spreader event. Have you ever been to something like that? Everything's just fine and somebody's angry. Now two people are angry, three people. Now everybody in the home is angry. What happened? Because it spreads. It's contagious. And then some people, they revel in conflict. They love it. I think they, they enjoy seeing everybody at each other's throats. They want everybody in the house to lunge at the other person's jugular. For them, it's like sport. Let me help you. Avoid people like that. Shouldn't we love them? Love them from a distance. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let me give you another verse. It's real quiet today. It's not a peaceful quiet. It's like, a, oh, Lord, why is he saying this? Proverbs, Proverbs, this is the air I breathe. Let's try that again. <laughs> Proverbs 22.10. Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. So if you're thinking about going to the bathroom right now, hold it until I'm through with this point. Everyone wonder, there goes the scoffer. <laughs> Drive out a scoffer and strife will go out. Quarreling and abuse will cease. Now, I noticed this little, little study. The Hebrew word for scoffer is written with a couple of letters, Hebrew letters, which uh, portray a, an image of a tongue and someone opposing authority. 
and it kind of conveys the original meaning, a tongue of trouble. Scoffer, a tongue of trouble. For my life, it's usually not my hand, it's not my foot, it's not even my eye. It's this. Am I alone here today? I am. <laughs> you know, um, I usually don't have to repent for not saying something. I usually have to repent for saying something I should not have said. And some of you are looking at me like, yeah, go ahead and repent now. Well, I'll do it next Friday, not right now. <laughs> Amen. God's presence is manifested in an atmosphere of peace. Not just in this church, but in your home. The Spirit of God moves where there's unity. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place, in one accord, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. You're listening to me? But a scoffer quenches the Spirit. His words dispel and dissipate the presence of God. And so a person who's creating strife and division may not even realize it, but he's being used by the enemy. You know, it's a sad thing when you wake up one day and realize, I have been used by the devil. That's a bad thing. So we don't want that. Amen? Notice another scripture. I feel so lonely up here. Do I have any friends here? Nobody. Hallelujah. Singapore? Congo. Let's try that again. <laughs> Proverbs 13.10 says this, Only by pride comes contention. So a contentious person is disagreeable. Some of you are looking so solemn. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm wondering. Am I talking about you or what? A contentious person is disagreeable. Some people, if you say, boy, today was cold, they always say the opposite. Cold, you think this is cold? I remember back in 1977, boy, that was cold. And if you say, today is hot, they'll say, you think this is hot? Oh, I remember back in 1954, that was really hot. If you say up, they say down. If you say hi, they say bye. They're always saying the opposite. They just want to be contentious. That's not a good thing. Amen? Some people are quick to get into arguments. Like almost everybody in India on a train. <laughs> who can talk for hours. Hours about Kapil Dev or Sachin Tendulkar. For hours, just ready to kill each other. And they're total strangers. And when they reach the station, they say bye and they all leave. And I'm thinking, why... Why couldn't you just be quiet for that time? <laughs> you don't have to get... Some of you would get into an argument with a road sign. It says stop. I'm not stopping. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> See, the root cause of this, only by pride comes contention. The root cause of strife is pride. Pride. See? So those who love peace are humble. There are some things that are more important than you winning the argument. 
I'm especially talking about your relationships with others that God has brought into your life. You know, you, you, you beat that other person to a pulp verbally. You just destroyed him. You ruined him. Ha, 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 I'm right. I win. But if you've destroyed the one for whom Christ died, what have you won? You won a divorce. That's what you won. You won children who hate you and can't wait to move out of the house. That's what you've won. Yee! And you think it shows how smart you are. It shows how retarded you are, how blind you are, because there are some things that are more important, and there's a lot of insecurity. When someone says something that you know is not correct, are you like a tiger? Kazirunga tiger. Get ready to just jump on them. You're wrong. You're wrong. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay, you Pharisee, back off. <laughs> Is it so important that you're always right? I'm right. No, that's not so important. Do you have to always put other people down? Just always cut somebody down. It's insecurity. You've heard this a thousand times, but it's true. Blowing out the other person's candle does not light your own. Amen? I mean, does, does God jump all over you when you say misquote a verse or something like that? Oh, you're wrong! <laughs> no. Amen? Let me read another scripture. Whew, it's real quiet today. Mm-hmm. I think we should have communion again. <laughs> Ephesians 4.3 says this, that we should be eager. Somebody say eager. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So unity comes by emphasizing what we have in common. Division comes by emphasizing what we don't share in common. So what do we have in common in this room? Well, we're all from the same tribe. <clears throat> We're all from the same socioeconomic background. <clears throat> Wrong answer. We all speak the same language. Well, almost no, because it's not everybody's first language for sure. Same culture? No. Same experiences? Not necessarily. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so if we emphasize the Lord, emphasize the goodness of God, emphasize the power of the Holy Spirit that binds us together. Are you listening to me? Amen. Now, maturity is measured by your willingness to find common ground with every believer you meet. Maturity is measured by your willingness to find some common ground with every believer, I mean a true Christian, that you meet. See? If they're born again, they're in the family of God. I may not agree with everything they say, they probably don't agree with everything I say, but he's still my brother. And I should endeavor to find common ground. Let me tell you something. Many years ago, I worked for a Christian organization in America. 
and I was required to visit different churches that supported this organization. And those churches were, were quite varied, all kinds of denominations, churches that I would have never attended in my life. I had to go there and meet with the pastor and talk with them about this Christian organization. And lo and behold, one day I had an appointment to go to a Roman Catholic church and talk to the parish priest in that church. Now, folks, I was raised a dyed-in-the-wool Protestant. I was raised Presbyterian, God's frozen people. And, and, and as far as I was concerned, Jesus was Presbyterian, and, and the apostles were Presbyterian. I never, ever in my life ever even entered into the building of a Roman Catholic church. Never. You know, we drove by and we went like that. And when I had to go in and talk to this priest, I was sure I was going to meet with the devil himself. So I was very, you know, I, I didn't want to do it. And in the short conversation, this, this Catholic priest said to me, a lot of people think that we get our funds from Rome, but actually, you know, uh, we just had to rely on the people here to start this church and support it. And he said, I came here, this is what this Roman Catholic priest said to me, I came here because the Holy Spirit brought me here and I just did this, started by faith, just trusted God each step of the way. And as he, as he was speaking, I had tears in my eyes because I thought he sounds more Rhema than some Rhema people I know. <laughs> he saw the tears and, and he thought I had an allergy. I didn't have the heart to tell him. I was, it just touched my heart. And it just proved me. God's got people in places you would never imagine. Are you out there today? Amen. I want to say this. We're members of churches. We're not in gangs. <laughs> I said we're members of churches. We're not in gangs. Right? We're not trying to destroy that rival group like the sharks and the jets in, in West Side Story. I don't know if you ever saw that, that thing. The sharks are going to rumble tonight. The jets are going to rumble tonight. And we're going to meet each other and, you know, and fight each other. The Baptist going to rumble tonight. The Pentecostal's going to rumble tonight. <laughs> That's not who we are. <laughs> are you out there today? Amen. I have visited many churches in my life, and often their style was not my style. But I was still blessed. Sometimes, I mean, one thing that comes to my mind is I was in the country of Haiti, which sounds like the word hate for a good reason. The word Haiti, the country of Haiti was an island in the Caribbean. It's like the, it's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. It's a giant island ghetto. You don't want to go there unless God called you. Sorry, but that's the truth. If you're watching online, pray for me, but that's just the truth. And Haiti was poor country. It's just, just a terrible place. And in their church services, the music was loud. Unbearably loud. You got blood coming out of your eardrums. It's so loud. Your whole pelvis is just vibrating you just like organs are being rearranged it's so loud you you know you can't even think it's so loud and it's out of tune 
They don't, they don't bother to tune their guitar. They just pick it up. They play that same guitar. It's been 12 years. They, don't, they, they only have four strings. It doesn't matter. Just, just, just slam away like that. And, and, it, and the timing is weird and off. And the songs they sang were basically like covenant kids' songs. I mean, in the adult service. They're Sunday school songs. And I was like, this is definitely not my style. But their enthusiasm, their joy blew me away. I've never seen people so happy to praise God. They were literally jumping up in the air and not, not for show or anything like that, just, just from, from their enthusiasm. There they, they, they was an open field sometimes and you could see a cloud of dust because they're jumping and kicking. It's not the glory cloud, it's just dirt. <laughs> and, I, and I sat there, I, I looked at them with just tears in my eyes. They, they don't have any of the equipments we have. They don't have the polish and the perfection that we strive for. But they do have zeal. And they have heart. And I was so blessed. Amen. Do I think that we should untune our guitars and turn it unbearably loud? No. Does that mean there's no practice this Friday? No. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. I'm not condoning bad doctrine or bad practice, but I'm saying look at the heart. Amen? i got to finish up. I only have a minute to go. A minute to win it. 1 Peter 3.10, notice this scripture. 1 Peter 3.10, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. In other words, one translation says, If you want joy in your life and have happy days, or the Passion translation, to find beauty in each day, then here's the prescription. First thing, Watch your words. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you say to others. But then notice verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. So that means, you know, you have to live right. You have to make choices in life. Choose God's will over things that are displeasing to him. But then notice this. Let him seek peace. And pursue it. Do you want to have a good life? Do you want to have a life full of blessing? Do you want to have happy days? Seek peace. And pursue it. See, most of us would prefer peace. But Peter said, you have to chase it down. Pursue it. So imagine, imagine me and my wife are shopping in the mall somewhere, and some hoodlum runs up and grabs her purse and takes off with it. Well, I could say, oh, that's too bad, honey. Oh, there goes your purse. There it goes. I could say, hey, buddy, come back here with that purse. But that doesn't do anything. Or I could take off running after that guy. Of course, looking at me, you know, he's, he's got nothing to worry about, but <laughs> I'm, I'm chasing after him. I'm in hot pursuit, right? If he goes here, I go there. If he goes here, I just, I just follow, run as fast and hard as I can to get that purse. See, that's the picture. It's not enough to say, yeah, I wish there was peace in my home. You got to chase it. You got to pursue it. You got to run after it, which means you want it so badly 
that you're moving stones and, 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 and debris and shrubs out of your way because I'm going to get that peace. There's going to be peace in this home. There's going to be peace in this marriage. Hallelujah. One last verse. I got to go. In Ephesians 5, 8. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says we were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. What he means is we were once lost. We were sinners. We were spiritually dead. Our natures were wrong. We were, we were separated from God. But now we are light in the Lord. We are born of his spirit. We have his life and nature in us. We're in the kingdom of his beloved son. And he says in verse 8, so walk as children of light. In other words, you have his life, you have his nature, you have his heart, you have his spirit. Now live that way. Walk it out. Right? And then he says this. Well, let me just say this. See, like in the 1980s, and you have to be my age to even appreciate this. So where are you? In the 1980s, there was this popular song by a group, all-girl band called The Bangles. And, and the song was called Walk Like an Egyptian. Way, oh, way, oh. I'm not going to do it. I'm not, don't worry. Some of you are concerned. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Walk like an Egyptian. And, and people all over, that song was popular. All over, they were, they were like doing that. You know, it was really, really kind of whacked out, actually. But, you know, walk like, don't laugh. You want to come up here and demonstrate for me? <laughs> so, so people, you know, they were a really popular song. Walk like an Egyptian. But we're not, we have another song. Walk like a believer. Walk like a believer. Way, oh, way, oh. <laughs> Walk like a believer. <laughs> Amen. And then in verse 10, this is the last verse, I promise. <laughs> Maybe I should turn the lights down when I preach, so even if everybody left, I wouldn't know it. <laughs> verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Walk like a believer and try to discern. Discern means to determine or perceive, recognize what is pleasing to the Lord. If you will be led by the Spirit of God, if you will listen to what he's saying in your heart, not necessarily words, but you have a sense, an urging, a leading, a, a, a pull in a certain direction. If you will do that, God will make known to you what he wants you to do in every situation. I can't tell you exactly what words you should say to your angry husband. I can't tell you exactly how you should respond when your wife tries on a new dress and say, do you think this makes me look fat? <laughs> the correct answer is not just no, heavens no, no way. <laughs> I can't tell you exactly what you should say in every instant and every moment of the day. Some people mean well, and they say the wrong thing. Do you think this dress makes me look fat? No, not so much. <laughs> About the same. <laughs> and you wonder why she doesn't speak to you for the rest of the day, you know? <laughs> he, can, he can tell you... Like sign language, shut up, <laughs> don't say a word. 
and there'll be peace. <laughs> it's amazing how many people got divorced. And when you ask them why, because she squeezes the toothpaste from the middle of the tube. <laughs> See, it's just some small thing, but it builds up. And words are spoken. Arrows start flying. The knives come out. It's every man for himself. World War III, Armageddon. And when the, when the nuclear fallout subsides, there's nothing left of the relationship. But that little something that says, my mother always said my mouth would get me in trouble. As a boy, she always said, that mouth is going to get you in trouble. And many times I started to say something and I saw my mother go. <laughs> that ever happened to you? No? It happened to me all the time. Now that I'm married, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a kid anymore. And I look and there's the Holy Spirit doing the same thing. Try to discern. It's not, it's not hard sometimes. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And what is pleasing to the Lord is that we be peacemakers. He will lead you into peace. Jesus could calm the storm because there was peace in him. There was a raging storm and he said, peace be still, and it was calm. Most of us, it's calm and we say peace and now it becomes a raging storm. You know, let me help you, husbands. The words calm down have never calmed any woman down. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Praise.